If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Art of the Hustle is a production of iHeartRadio. You're listening to The Art of the Hustle, the show that breaks down how some of the world's most fascinating people have hustled and learned their way into achieving great things. I'm your host, Jeff Rosenthal, co-founder of Summit. And today on the show, I had the pleasure of chatting with Dr. Harvey Karp. Harvey is one of America's most trusted pediatricians and child development experts. He's also the founder and CEO of Happiest Baby, a smart tech parenting solutions company, and the inventor of the SNU. Having practiced pediatrics in Los Angeles for over 25 years, his landmark discoveries and unique ability to translate complex science into effective techniques have empowered parents and revolutionized our understanding of young children's needs. Harvey's highly innovative and celebrated books and videos, The Happiest Baby on the Block and The Happiest Baby Guide to Great Sleep, have been translated into dozens of languages and made him one of the world's most renowned baby and sleep experts. He joins us to talk about the fourth trimester, his vision of a world full of snooze smart sleepers, well-rested parents, and the importance of your child's early relationships, especially in a post-pandemic world. So please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Harvey Karp. Harvey, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really appreciate you joining us. Oh, I'm so happy to be with you, Jeff. Thanks so much for asking. It's such a pleasure. You're one of these people that I'm so thankful for knowing, and you've had such a tremendous impact on uh, my health and happiness and well-being in my family. So I just got to start out by saying thank you, man, for all your work. Oh my, listen, it's so fun to know that uh, we were introduced by a little baby, basically. I mean, it's it's your son, River, who really yeah. uh, really brought us together. So we have him to thank. Well, and we had a mutual friend introduce us who I know you had also been invaluable to for, you know, her, her you know, child rearing experience. You know, it's got to be amazing for you because this goes back decades, right? Like you've been doing this for a really long time. 
<laughs> I often, I would, yeah, I practiced pediatrics for almost 30 years out here in Los Angeles. I trained in New York. I'm originally a New Yorker, but been out here for a long, long time. And I would always joke with my patients that my job was 50% being a doctor and 50% being a grandmother because half of what you do or more than that as a pediatrician these days is just passing on the ancient wisdom and helping people understand you know, just the, the separate the common sense from all the noise that you get on the internet and from, from friends and just help them find their path. Well, I'll be honest with you. I don't think a lot of us have that experience anymore with our doctors, even, you know, those of us that can afford, you know, the best care that we could find in a city like Los Angeles, you know, we still have a pretty fast food medical experience, a lot of us with our deliveries and our medical professionals. And I recall my wife tried to ask the doctor a question, you know, and dude rolls his eyes and it's like just, you know, rushing to the next room. And so you're talking about ancient wisdom. I don't know that it's like just about that because that sounds something unique to your perspective. I was pretty lucky, I have to say, in pediatrics. Number one, I was really practicing before all the PPOs and the insurance companies took over so many practices. So I wasn't under their thumb for most of the years I was practicing. And I, I studied, besides pediatrics, I, I spent a couple of years studying child development so that it was really interesting. Every child was like new and different and interesting in their personality. It wasn't just looking for diseases. And I have to say, doctors today and pediatricians especially, they have a tough, tough job because they do have to run from room to room just to pay the bills because everything has gotten so expensive and their reimbursement is, pediatricians are the lowest reimbursed doctors of any doctor. So it, it becomes a real challenge to kind of be able to make a living and do what you enjoy. I was lucky back in the day that I was able to just spend half hour with all my visits and get to know the families and... It wasn't quite the days when they would give you a chicken for coming to the office as in this exchange, but I did have a yeah. chance to really get to know my families. Well, that's fantastic. And and what is some of that ancient wisdom that you would impart on those new parents? Well, you know, a, a big part of it is the perspective you have on young children and on what your job is. So when it comes to babies, the key perspective that I like to teach is that in those first four months or five months of life, your baby is really still a fetus. And you, my friend, are a big walking uterus. But um, in all seriousness, we used to teach parents, you know, just let your child cry and they have to learn to tough it up and whatnot. But now we understand that the more you respond to your baby's needs, you're building something that's called attachment or really trust confidence, security, those bedrock parts of your personality that will really be there through thick and thin and help you get through all the travails of life. And so rather than letting children cry and learn that they can't, quote unquote, manipulate you, our goal is to meet our child's needs and respond to their crying and to do that in a very specific way. And that's really there's a book uh, and a video that I made called Happiest Baby on the Block, which kind of introduce a new concept, which is the fourth trimester, that your job as a new parent is to imitate the rhythms of the womb. Everybody concentrates on feeding babies, you know, give them the calories, give them the breastfeeding. And of course, that's super important. But it turns out that rhythmic holding and rocking and shushing are as nurturing to babies 
as calories, as the nutrition that they eat. Do you, do you remember the the old studies by Harry Harlow with the terry cloth monkey? Did you ever hear about that? No, no. Well, listen, in, in the early part of the 1900s, there were studies done on what they call foundling homes or orphanages. At the time, these orphanages were filled, I mean, with you know, scores and scores and scores of babies. And they just discovered artificial formula as a way of feeding these babies. It's the only way that they could keep them alive. And they didn't have enough nurses to go around. So they would prop up bottles of formula in these babies' mouths, and they didn't even have enough people to pick up the baby and hold them. And they thought that, you know, giving them formula was enough. That's what else does a baby need to grow. But it turns out that if the babies were not picked up and held, even if they were given calories, they didn't thrive. Babies need the holding and the rocking and the shushing and the nurturing and the skin to skin as much as they need the calories. Harry Harlow did this study where he took monkeys. He built mother monkeys for these baby monkeys, but they were artificial monkeys. One was a wire monkey that had a bottle of milk attached to it. And the other was a wire monkey that didn't have milk, but it had terry cloth wrapping around it. So it was more comforting to hang on to. And this monkey would run over to the wire monkey to get a feeding. And as soon as the milk was gone, would run back to the terry cloth monkey for the cuddling and the softness that the baby needs just as much as the calories. So that's something that, you know, is kind of the ancient wisdom that I like to teach parents about, at least for, for newborn babies. And it feels to me like the five S's is ancient wisdom. This must have been, you know, an observation through the best practices that you had seen in the space. Yes. When you, when you put that together for the happiest baby. Yeah. So, so the five S's are five ways to imitate the experience babies have before they're born inside the womb. It's not quiet and still. It's dynamic. It's a symphony of sensations. There is sound that's a rumbly sound that's louder than a vacuum cleaner. There's constant jiggly motion. Imagine when a woman is walking, you know, all the bouncy motion the baby has. And even when she's just sitting there or, or asleep, every time she breathes, she's rocking her baby and the baby is cuddled in this velvet lined womb. And so they're constantly being touched and rubbed. And then they're born and we put them flat on the back. They've never been on the back before. We take away sound, we take away motion, and we say, and we take away the holding, you know, we unswaddle the babies, and then we wonder why the baby isn't sleeping better. Because, dude, you've taken away everything that the baby knew before they were born. And so it was, in a way, discovering the ancient wisdom to recognize these five steps that imitate the womb, the five S's are critical, and they're things that we just kind of forgot about and walked away from. And if you're listening and you're about to have a baby or in the future are going to have a baby, please do yourself a favor and watch the DVD or read the book and just understand the five S's because it really did, you know, save us to a great degree. I mean, like we didn't know what we were doing. We had to that point never had a baby before. And I think that that was just like out of all of the sort of like information that we took in or books we read, it was just the most hyper practical and easy to follow. And then you get these, you know, almost miraculous results. Hearing you say it, it almost sounds kind of obvious. It's like, yeah, you shush the baby, you rock the baby, they need to suck, they need to be swaddled tightly because that imitates the womb. But it's not obvious to a lot of people. No, it's actually, it's actually counterintuitive because you think you've got to be gentle. And if you shush loud, shh, you know, you feel like you're saying shut up or it's rude. In fact, the thing that was tricky about this 
is that it works by turning on a reflex. You know, when you buy a computer, it's got all this software preloaded on it so that you can use the computer right on the first day. Well, babies have lots of software that's preloaded in their brains. We call them reflexes, neonatal reflexes. So you don't teach your baby to suck or to swallow or to blink or to breathe or to cry. They're born with those capabilities. And what wasn't known, really was kind of described in, in, in my book for the first time, was that they have a reflex that's like an off switch for crying and an on switch for sleep called the calming reflex. But like, like your knee reflex, you can't just whack the knee and have a reflex happen. you got to hit it exactly in the right place and exactly hard enough. There's a little specificity to it. And same thing for these five S's. you got to swaddle right, you got to shush right, you got to jiggle them in the right way. And then the magic happens. So it is a technique. And actually, because of that, The Happiest Baby, is, a, is it's a good book. It's got anthropology in it and different science and stuff like that. But to really learn these techniques, I don't even recommend reading the book. I recommend this little 30-minute video because you kind of learn it best by watching, just like learning how to tie your shoelaces. Well, speaking of which, your entrepreneurial endeavors. So you are a writer, you produce the videos, you were a professor, you sit on a number of different boards and advisory boards on these topics. Snoo is another piece of the symphony of the work that you've done for children and families. I'd love for you to tell us about Snoo, but I also want to know, like, is that the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey? Or did you have other like startups that didn't work out? Was there a rattle that, you know, we never saw that didn't make it out of the laboratory or tell there us? A, there was a blew up. Well, you know, being a, being a doctor uh, and building a practice is very entrepreneurial. And I've built other businesses with my wife, who's my co-founder. Uh, there'd be no company without her. She's just brilliant and has been such a co-partner in everything that I've done. Hmm. And doing the videos really was, as you said, entrepreneur. I mean, millions of people have seen this video and and used it. For, we It's translated into, the books are translated into 30 languages and used in nations around the world and stuff. So it's been quite a long process from the educational point of view. But then Snoo is really a responsive baby bed that imitates the womb and keeps babies safer and teaches them to be better sleepers and it's kind of an interesting thing because I was teaching the five S's forever, lecturing around the world, and and yet I wasn't seeing what I had hoped to see, which was a reduction in postpartum depression and child abuse and parents feeling happier and more competent because they could do the five S's all day long, but what do you do all night long? You know, they were still struggling with sleep deprivation being the number one stress on parents. And like I said, not just the stress, it leads to marital stress and divorce. It leads to breastfeeding failure. Thousands of babies die because their parents are so tired, they fall asleep with them in bed with them, or they put the baby on the stomach because it's the only way the baby will stop crying. And so I thought, you know, maybe there could be a way that I could make a difference and, and build a bed that gave babies these womb sensations while they were sleeping. And so I partnered up with one of the guys who was now he's the head of the MIT Media Lab with one of America's leading industrial designers. And we created this bed and then tested it out on hundreds and hundreds of babies. And, and it's kind of funny because we've now used it. I mean, we've measured well over 100 million hours of infant sleep. So it's the, it's the largest infant studies that have ever been done. And we've proven that we add one to two hours to a baby's sleep every night, starting in the first week or two of life, which was never even thought possible 
And yet what's so crazy about that is that everyone knew it was possible because when your baby cries a lot and they didn't sleep well, you'd be told, well, go drive your kid in a car. And if you drove your child all night in the car, they would fall asleep for an extra hour or two. It's just, and you would as well if you were in the back seat of the car. And so it was really taking something that was kind of known and kind of recognized, and yet we had a blind spot and we thought, well, well, that's in a car, but you can't really do that in your bedroom. And now we've created this beautiful little, and it's beautiful, it's in six museums, it's in the permanent collection of the Smithsonian, it's won more awards than any baby product in history. So we're super proud about the, the way it looks and the way it works. We're in 70 hospitals now, using it for babies withdrawing from drugs and using it for premature babies. And, and as you mentioned, for, for the prevention of postpartum depression, and so it's it's just been a very exciting entrepreneurial ride, having an idea, building it, manufacturing it, and getting it out in the world. We'll be back with more Art of the Hustle after the break. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come along with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and, of course, drama. I'll be joined by some very special guests that'll be helping me break it all down. From award season nightmares to fashion week insanity, you'll get the real stories behind some of the most iconic moments in the show. The Rachel Zoe Project definitely changed my life and career in so many ways. The show definitely captured some of the most amazing moments, but also some of the absolute worst. I made the show for all the fashion lovers out there, and I'm so happy that people still watch it and love it so much. So do not miss this special takeover on Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Not believe I just said that. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. 
you said you partnered with the now head of MIT Media Lab, and and I believe it was was it Eve Bahar was the industrial designer. Bahar, yeah, fantastic, yeah, wonderful, designer. wonderful guy, amazing designer. So how did you did you did, did these guys just like say hey we love you Harvey and, and Nina and we're we're in we'll we'll just do it you know on the come and you let us know or did you raise money did you spend it yourself how did you get the thing off the ground Well you know we bootstrapped it in the beginning and we were I was so lucky that Eve and Deb Roy at MIT were both fans of the five S's they had used it for their little kids and raising their kids so they knew my book and my work already and so they were excited at the idea of building something that was really breakthrough. I mean, you know, we always talk about disruptive technologies. That's the buzzword. But when you think about it, if you look in front of you, you know, your computer, your phone, whatever, even your pen, the paper you're writing on, almost everything in front of you has been innovated on in the last 10, 20, 30 years. The baby bed hasn't changed in 3,000 years. So it was really exciting at at the prospect of how do we catapult the baby bed into the 21st century? And so they were on board because it was such an interesting challenge and because they knew the five S's. And how did you guys take it to market? Was it difficult to introduce something so novel? I remember for me, when I first was like, wait a minute, is it a, is it a robotic crib? Or like, how did you help people get over that first hump when they were introduced to this you know, concept? Well, you know, that's a never ending uh, struggle because you have to educate people to something that they never even knew existed or, or thought could be done. So which is really part of the fun of it. We've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles written in every language you can imagine because people are fascinated by babies and they're fascinated by controversy. And so people go, oh, no, this is a dystopian robotic bed. Now parents will never touch their babies. It's really just, it's just a smart swing in a certain sense that's safe. It rocks them. It responds when the baby cries. It rocks and shushes them more. It's got this great app so you can get your download of how your baby's been sleeping for the last day and week and month, and you can watch the progress. What it really is, and this sounds odd, but it's really your older sister, Jeff. It's like one of the greatest problems that faces our culture and our society is the ending of the extended family. Totally. You know, everyone thinks it's the normal family is, you know, two parents and a child, maybe a dog or In something. In the U.S., people think that. Well, you know, even outside the U.S., the whole extended family structure is falling apart everywhere as, huh. as other cultures follow the Western model. And so people move into the cities, they move away from their extended family. And they think that they're liberating themselves. You know, when you're 20 and you move to New York and you're going, now I'm free, man. You know, I'm out of my little town or whatever. It's exciting when you're 20, but we really should be like salmon. You know, we have to swim back upstream and get back to that familiar neighborhood when we have babies, because that's when your parents and your cousins and your uncle and aunt and the neighborhood that you know becomes so comforting and so important. But instead, we get stuck in these cities and we don't know our neighbors and we don't have any outdoor space. And we think that's normal. And then you have a baby or a toddler and you go, oh, geez, I mean, this is the hardest work I've ever done. And even though parents today are smarter, more book learned than any generation in history, many parents have never even touched a baby before they have their own baby. That never existed in the entire you know, history and prehistory of, of civilization or of humanity. It's mm, a great so point. It's a pretty weird time. And so SNU really turns out to be a caregiver. 
it is an assistant. It is robotic in a certain sense in that it kind of works, just push a button and it, it imitates human behavior. So it imitates the best caregiver that you could have, or if your grandma or your older sister moved in with you. But then what it does is it gives you that extra time to fix dinner, to take a shower, to get some sleep. Which is priceless. Yeah, and which you need. I mean, it's really, you deserve it as a new parent. You're working so hard. You know, you deserve a little bit of help. Well, and if you're a mother, you just went through, like you literally just had an organ leave your body and become a sentient being. So it's like, you probably should sleep a little extra if you can. And uh, I'm so fascinated by your path. Clearly, you know, whatever you and your wife focus on expands. But, you know, I imagine that were some hard learnings too, just from a leadership perspective. What were some of the areas that, you know, you really skinned your knees on? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's a constant learning process. I, I learned a lot through the whole process of writing books and lecturing and developing educational programs. So, you know, thank God I married the right woman. There would be no snoo, there would be no company if I didn't have this brilliant woman by my side who found our factory in China and found our factory in India and hired our executive team and raised millions of dollars. And then, of course, that just is the beginning, right? Then you got to build the right team and you make mistakes along the way and you got to fire people and hire people and make some quick decisions. And, and, you know, you're constant when you start a new business, you're just trying to make as few terrible mistakes as possible. But, you know, you're going to make mistakes and and run into walls and then you just have to have to pivot. And so we've had tons of issues and problems and you, you manufacturing issues. You're constantly working through the bugs and and what was fun with Snoo, of course, is that it was something no one ever thought about or knew could even be done. And so it's been a lot of fun, you know, just just talking about it. And you see parents' eyes open wide at the possibility that they can get an extra hour or two of sleep. I have to tell you that one of the things I'm looking forward to next is, you know, this is just the beginning of the ride, helping parents with their new babies. But as a pediatrician, my goal is really to help guide parents through those first, you know, five, six, seven years of life, um, which are the most formative and foundation setting for the child, the rest of the child's life. And so what I'm really excited about now is talking to people more about toddlers, kids over eight months of age, and the things you can do. There's a whole Happiest Toddler on the Block um, book and video that I did, but these are not so much the ancient wisdom as new wisdom in terms of how you speak so you can build emotional resilience and strength and help children become more resilient and confident and patient and communicative and trusting, able to build intimacy skills. All of these things that people are struggling with in our culture are things that parents of young children from eight months on can really learn to do better. And what's fun about this and interesting is that some of these things are completely the opposite of the way you think you should be speaking with your child or raising your child. So that's really a big fun part of what I'm starting to do now. Well, and, and to that regard, I just, you know, I'm curious because I was, you know, rereading your background and history. And I know that you've spent a fair amount of time working with, as you said, like kids that, you know, had, were coming from harder situations. I'm curious, like, what are some of the things when, when children have gone through trauma that, you know, you've seen help them come out the other side? What I always found is that it's the way you frame the problem that really pre presents you with the answer. And so if you understand that babies are born four months too soon, then you understand why you have to bounce and jiggle and cuddle and imitate the womb for 12 hours a day. 
for toddlers, the key concept is that toddlers are not little children. Toddlers are cavemen. They're primitives. They are unfrickin' civilized. And that's fun. You know, they they'll enjoy the ice cream and their whole face will be covered by ice cream. But they are not always the best roommates. You know, they don't pick up after themselves or wash the dishes and they can spit and scratch and throw things at your head. And and so it turns out if you understand that they're uncivilized, then you understand your job is to civilize them. You know, then that's going to take you years to teach them to say please and thank you, wait in line and share their toys. But the cool thing about that and about helping them overcome traumas, you know, to your question, we are all born with a built in life preserver that allows us to endure difficulties and frustrations and shameful situations and to get to the other side and be healthier and stronger and better. And that inborn capability is called our emotions. When we're sad, we cry. When we're happy, we laugh. And after you express your emotions, you actually feel better. You feel like you can think better, but only if you can express those emotions in a loving and accepting environment. That's the trick. And so it's really teaching parents how they can signal to their young children that they respect and care for their feelings. They want to understand their feelings. Not that they're going to change things. You can't keep your child from having difficult. They're going to scrape their knees. They're going to be insulted. They're going to feel picked upon and bullied. And that's not the worst thing in the world. You know, you, you will toughen up when you go through those difficult situations. But you need to have a parent and, and people who love you who can listen to those feelings without trying to save you, but also without trying to make you get over it too quickly. And Uh it turns out there are very specific techniques that you know as an adult that work to help someone feel heard. Like like with your best friend, when your best friend is upset and says, Jeff, you're not going to believe what this guy did to me. You don't immediately say, uh, well, wait a second, let me tell you what happened to me, right? You don't compete with them. For sure. You encourage them to tell you, you know, what they experience. And you don't encourage them by saying, oh, that's very interesting. Tell me how that was for you, right? You yeah. use a very primitive type of language. I call it toddlerese, which is three steps, short phrases, repetition, and mirroring a third of their emotion in your tone of voice and gesture. So for your friend, you might go, what? 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 what, 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 what t- tell me, tell me, I want to know what happened. Tell me what happened. You repeat yourself, which sounds kind of inane, and you use a little emotion in your voice. That signals that you're genuinely interested. With children today, too often parents think they're acknowledging feelings by saying, honey, mommy knows you're upset. That was very frustrating for you. But that's that same pseudo-psychiatrist voice that really is so distant from feelings that it makes the child feel like the parent doesn't really get it and doesn't even really want to entertain their feelings. So you're saying instead we should mirror the feelings back to them. We should speak back to them in the same emotional register as like they're presenting to us? Actually, no, I'm not saying that. And I'm glad you said that because I made that mistake in the first edition of my book and I had to rewrite parts of my book because I said you mirror the feelings. You don't. You mirror about a third of the feelings. And this is super important. When they're screaming, you don't scream. You're not a mirror. You might raise your voice and put some empathy into your voice. When they're sad, you don't cry along with them. 
you don't want to take the attention away from them. They have the spotlight, but you want to show them that, am I getting it right, honey? Is it, are you feeling, you look like you're so frustrated. You're trying, you're trying, and you were trying to open that bottle, and I saw you, uh, you were trying, and you were trying to open that. That kind of repetition and, and um, kind of empathy without actually mirroring the level of empathy they the, of, of emotion they have, which would otherwise be taking the attention on yourself. It sounds a lot like, you know, some of the principles of like thinking fast and slow, where we have like mm -hmm. these emotional needs on the bottom yes. floor of the house. And that lets us get to the more, you know, intellectual conversation on the top floor. But if we don't feel seen and heard and appreciated, then we really can't be negotiating in a meaningful way. So I kind of feel like as my toddler is in his full caveman state, he's actually a tremendously tough negotiator. The guy gets what he wants. I mean, yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> really can't lose. Like, I mean, I know he's going to take me to the mat. If it's important to him, it's either happening or I'm going to distract him or, you know, like uh, we're going to go toe to toe for half an hour before he's going to give it up. River has nothing to do all day but to engage you in that wrestling match while well, you've got other yeah. things you have to do. And actually, yeah. you know, it's important that parents recognize that even though it sounds so simple to just acknowledge feelings in those three steps, it's not simple when you are stressed and someone's screaming at you or just spit in your face or, you know, we have our feelings as well. And as parents, we oftentimes have to just, you know, take a breath, put our feelings aside and um, allow the child's situation to really take center stage until we can get them to calm down. In taking things back to SNU, I imagine that this is going worldwide, yes? You're taking this to every hospital and family around the planet? Yeah, I mean, we, we certainly hope that this will be used by, by hospitals across the country and around the world. We're now in US, Canada, Australia, UK, EU. We will end up getting this all around the world because parents need this. I've been through different businesses and, and being a professional, and we started this business not because we're looking to make a fortune. This is really a mission. This is something that, as odd as it sounds, Jeff, I mean, I couldn't, I still don't believe that why doesn't everyone just obviously know these things? And yet, for some reason, we have a blind spot to exactly what we're supposed to do with babies and toddlers. And so, yeah, I've got this big job of just educating people and getting the word out. And it's a pretty fun roller coaster. Art of the Hustle will be right back after this short break. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. 
It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come along with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and, of course, drama. I'll be joined by some very special guests that'll be helping me break it all down. From award season nightmares to fashion week insanity, you'll get the real stories behind some of the most iconic moments in the show. The Rachel Zoe Project definitely changed my life and career in so many ways. The show definitely captured some of the most amazing moments, but also some of the absolute worst. I made the show for all the fashion lovers out there, and I'm so happy that people still watch it and love it so much. So do not miss this special takeover on Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Not believe I just said that. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. If I'm an entrepreneur and I want to build products that are in this space, what are some of the things that you think I should keep in mind or some of the needs that still need to be addressed? Oh, gosh, that's a tough one. I mean, you, you have to know your audience. I mean, the interesting thing about technology is that so many of us get enamored with it for technology's sake. Let's just measure this and we can measure that. But what are you going to do with that information? You need to solve problems as well as, you know, measure things. Measuring is only good if it's going to be used for solving problems. So I would say the most important thing for entrepreneurs who have an idea is to really work on the product consumer fit and make sure that you're really solving a problem that is pressing and, and there's a need for. Being that we are in this really, really unique time, we're not going to do preschool uh, out the gate here, and perhaps that's extreme. I'm just curious, like, are, are, are you thoughtful or do you have some, some things that you've seen that you believe are probably pretty common that a lot of our children are dealing with? Well, I mean, there's, there's tons and tons of things we're learning, but tons of things that we know already um, you know, just staying healthy, you know, getting sleep, eating well, taking extra vitamin D, um, which is a good vitamin for your immune system, for respiratory diseases, you know, and of course, good hygiene and social distancing, all those things. So that's the very beginning of it. But you need, and young kids especially, they need social contact. And so uh, getting a dog, for example, you know, if you can't get out and be with other, uh, get your kid with other kids, at least you can have them have a relationship with a pet. And that's something that can be incredibly fulfilling for a child and be doable for, uh, for families who otherwise are isolated. Forming a pod with, you know, one other family so that you can share responsibilities. I mean, if you, if you can trust each other and you're really kind of keeping to the rule of social isolation or social distancing, then you can enrich your, your life and enrich your child's life with that type of very small, intimate um, exposure. 
Um, a lot of people have moved out of the cities, you know, to go back to family, um, back to areas where they can be out in nature and get out of the house. I, it's so hard when you're stuck in an apartment. If you have that opportunity, that's a, something that's useful. Listen, we've really have not handled this well in the United States. We've spent so much money, yet so many people have died and we still have so much of this disease. If everyone stayed indoors for two weeks, this epidemic would be gone. This virus can't last more than two weeks, two and a half weeks at the most. And so literally, if we bit the bullet and we did that, this it would be gone. It would be over. Our economy would be back and everybody would be healthy and back to restaurants and bars and schools and everything like that. We need leadership. We need leaders who, who can convince us and can lead us into following the rules that, that are the oldest rules in the world for reducing epidemics and uh, infectious diseases. We know how to do it. We just have to do it. And we need the leaders who bring us to those actions. Totally. And you mentioned some of those other countries and how they're, they're, they're dealing with it. Have there been or are there like things that you admire in terms of toddlers and babies and family building and just the space that you've dedicated your life to? What are some of the things, because we talked about that ancient wisdom, are, are there things that you think are practiced on a more ongoing basis in child rearing in different places that most Americans aren't necessarily aware of that we should be? Um, well, I think we've learned we've learned more. We've learned a lot from those cultures. So baby wearing, for example, nobody used a carrier like 30 years ago. It was just really, really starting at that time. Oh, yeah. You had strollers and plastic seats and things like that. But baby wearing really has come about in the last 30 years. Of course, the sling, the baby sling may well be the very first one of the very first tools that humankind ever invented because they needed their hands free while they were carrying their babies. The biggest thing for us to learn or remember from other cultures in terms of raising children is to give them that social exposure. There's a guy, brilliant guy in Texas, Bruce Perry, psychologist, who has helped so many families and so many children in crisis. He was the guy who was, they brought into Columbine when these kids were killed there or at the bombing in Oklahoma City or the Branch Davidian uh, catastrophe in Waco to help these kids recover from trauma. And what he said, I think, is, is so right on, which is about the poverty in the United States, not the economic poverty. Economic poverty is actually not the biggest problem. Social poverty is the biggest problem. If you have you know, a family with two parents and a child, how many relationships can that child have? They can have a relationship with themselves, that's one. With the mother, that's two. With the father, that's three. With both parents together, that's four. That's it. If you have two parents, four kids, a dog, your cousins, your grandparents, the next door neighbors coming over all the time, suddenly you have hundreds of potential relationships. You have a nourishing um, mixed diet of all sorts of different opportunities. You can learn from the older kids. You can teach the younger kids. You can watch different adults, how they handle things. And all of that is what human beings always had up until 100 years ago. We've ripped all of that away. And now we're raising children. No wonder everyone's turning to social media because at least they have some social exposure in an otherwise boring and sensory deprived world. Mm. Um, that's why people turn to television. So if we could learn something from our mistakes and our missteps, it's really to enrich our social environment in any ways we can. And if that means just getting a dog, then get a dog. 
I love that. My my grandfather, his motto is a large extended family is the greatest luxury in life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had always thought about that in terms of like the friendships that you have, the family that you choose, but I hadn't thought about it in terms of just that diversity of inputs creates the complexity of outputs and the people that we care about the most. Yeah. And that's how you learn to be a complex person. That's how you learn to deal with complex relationships. That's how you learn to not only think of yourself, because when it's just you sitting there, of course, you're going to think of yourself. And so it leads to people being more, you know, egocentric and and lacking in compassion. It truly is one of the great challenges that our culture faces to break down these barriers. Listen, I'm a big believer in and universal conscription. I think everyone should have to serve the country, whether it's in the army or in the Peace Corps or Teach for America or some type of program where you have to give, where you're not just thinking about yourself and where you're working on a team with people from all across the country to see we're all Americans. We're all privileged to be in this country and we all have a deep debt that we need to repay to our our fellow Americans. We inherited so much from our parents and grandparents. We've got to give that back. Totally. Well, Harvey, thank you again, man. We really appreciate you being on the show. This is so, so amazing just to hear your thoughts and your wisdom on, you know, how to grow what's most important to all of us that have children. You know, it's, it's a pretty quick process for them to become the center of our universes. And, you know, your story with Snoo is just unbelievable. And, and it's such a great product. It's such a great company. It's something that I've certainly gotten an incredible amount of value out of. I love it. And you know what, Jeff, Jeff, our goal with this is that everyone gets a free Snoo. That's what we're working towards. We want your right now, many corporations will will rent snooze and give them to their employees for six months use like Google, Facebook, Qualcomm, Snapchat, Hulu. They're all uh, under armor. Are, are I didn't nice know that. Snooze. Yeah. So then we're going to get insurance companies and the government subsidizing it because they're going to save so much money by preventing the illnesses that happen when parents are stressed and overwhelmed, that this will be something, I mean, that's what we're working towards, that everyone will get a free snoo and they'll be able to have the helper in the family that they, you know, that they should have had to begin with. I never thought about that. So are you guys doing some outcomes research around that right now on on oh, yeah. the health the- implications and just the true cost savings? Sure. I mean, we have we have about a dozen studies underway. We published our first study last year. The FDA recognized us as a breakthrough device. So we're hoping that by 2021, we'll be able to have FDA approval as the world's first SIDS prevention bed and prevent thousands of deaths a year in the United States and then prevent postpartum depression, um, which we know is triggered by exhaustion and feeling overwhelmed as a new parent. And we know that SNU can give you more sleep and more peace of mind and, and make you feel more competent. So, yeah, no, we're super excited at the opportunity to take this one, you know, one little intervention and use it to help uh, millions and millions of families. Well, you are. And thank you again for your service and your work and your thought leadership and your friendship. I love you, Harvey. Thank you again for I being on the podcast. And thank you so much, Jeff, for everything you do with Summit. You are the ultimate entrepreneur in trying to make the world a better place. So hats off to you, my friend. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening. It's the Art of the Hustle. And thank you, Harvey Karp. And to check out more on Snoo and all of Harvey's work, go to thehappiestbaby.com.
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.